Hey, welcome to Developers Hangout, a weekly podcast. I am your host. Oh, hold on, hold on. It's not. I don't know if we can do weekly. Welcome to Developers Hangout, a podcast uh, for developers, interesting information, and anything else. Uh, we get together whenever we can and talk about interesting things going on in our work lives and in the industry. Um, I'm your host, Nathan Kirschbaum, and joining me is... Hey, this is Alfred Nutilli. Uh, me and Nathan work together. And like he said, we're going to go over some of the topics we go through every week uh, at work and some of the books we're reading and so forth and, and just talk about and even some of the podcasts we listen to. Yeah, that'll be great. And Al, just before we dig in, um, let's give a little bit of background information. What um, What is your, just a kind of, you know, whatever, the 30-second of kind of your your history and, um, you know, where, you, where you're at in terms of development and your interests? Yeah, yeah, sure. The um, It's definitely been a long road of uh, of getting in early on when uh, Linux was new, PHP was new, MySQL, MySQL was new, all that stuff. Uh, so, uh, it's been a lot of years, and in the past couple of years have been really fun because it's really been a good focus on uh, design patterns and Angular and Laravel and some really nice tools. Uh, so uh, I'll really you know cover a lot of that as we talk. Uh, what's been going on recently? Awesome. How about, how about you? Yeah, so um, I've been working for the last five years. Um, you know, in a in a development shop, working a lot mostly on Drupal, um, and I was actually quite uh, involved quite a bit in the kind of technical project management piece and was doing more development um, uh, kind of on the side and just kind of doing architecture and and project management things like that but about a year ago I kind of dove into uh, modern PHP and object oriented um, philosophies and getting more into scrum and things like that Um, and it's just been a it's been a really amazing experience and um Yes, I'm excited to talk about some of those experiences um, and some of the things that that are new and and going on out there. No, it's cool. And and like I said, working together, we both realize how fun this stuff is. And and, uh, and we just want to – we chat about it off off podcast. We figured it would be fun to bring it to the air and just talk about these things we come across and and been studying and stuff. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, all right, uh, let's see. So – one of the things I wanted to bring up uh, that's come up in the past couple of weeks or longer than that is uh, people asking, like, what do you do, right? And so uh, even at a party last night, it was like, what what do you do? And, and actually, even the other day, we had an ant exterminator coming over, and he's like, you know, what do you do? And if I say web developer, it's that title I really don't want anymore because uh, that moment they're asking you to, you know, build a website. And so that's one of the topics I want to talk about is like when people ask you, what do you do? What do you do? What is your, what is your job? What do you give them for an answer? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I don't often answer as a developer, although half the time people I'm talking to, when once, once I did tell them I was a developer, they would ask me how to fix their Windows <laughs> computer or their yeah. iPhone or something, something, something else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, it's interesting. Like in the last, I don't know, six, six, six months or so, I've definitely been answering it in a different way. Um, 
and it, and I think application is where it's at. Right. But you're, you're right. You're right in kind of like what is it that defines application? What makes that different um, than just building websites? And I guess you know for me it probably has to do with um, you know uh, the the purpose, right? It's like we're not building um, st- static brochure websites. We're 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 often building. Uh, software that speaks to a number of services and APIs has maybe has its own custom APIs, um, you know, and and so it's it's you know it, it it not only can it display on the web but you know maybe in iPhone applications like native iPhone apps and things like that. Um, so yeah, kind of a really different world than just web development. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, you could say web development and know it means those things, but I think most people when they hear that it means like you said, the brochure sites. Um, So yeah, I I totally been trying to focus on what you're saying, which is focus on the application, Uh, even to the point of uh, internal applications um, and and focusing on, you know, I make uh, internal web applications, you know. Right. Uh, Because that's even uh, just more. I guess, yeah. Do you mean, when you say that, are you kind of referring to like, you know, building, building libraries or tool sets that oh, su- good point. support no, other no. developers? Or? No, I think a better title would be intranet, right? So building applications that are intranet based. Gotcha. Uh, and, and so you're not even thinking so much about front facing uh, or web or worldwide web facing uh, technology. Right. Uh, so, uh, and it becomes sometimes a different focus at that point. It's more of a, maybe more easier to say it's an application and not uh <laughs> not a brochure site you know right right so yeah uh but no it's always a challenge cuz uh again you just get uh right away like you know can you help me with my website it's like no <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah and, and that was hard i mean it was 5 years ago easier to say i'm a web developer but it became so easy to make websites that your pricing and your niche was slowly gone Um, but then it just also became, uh, I wanted to develop more. And so therefore I felt like there was more challenges at the application level, uh, and not so much at like, make me a blog, make me a site. I can sell this, you know, or that those all have their challenges and are fun, but, uh, I felt like it didn't give me a chance to be a developer in many ways. Right. Uh, You want to go to the next topic? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, one of the things that would be great to talk about is microservices. We are, we actually, um, we do this great thing. Uh, you know, Al and I work on a small team um, and, you know, we get together on a weekly basis and just kind of do a weekly book review where we're always, we're working on a book and, you know, sometimes it's just a chapter, sometimes it's two or three, depending on how busy our week is. Um, but one of the books that we're reading right now is called Building Microservices. Um, it's a book by Sam Newman. It came out fairly recently, actually, I believe it beginning of 2015. It's on Amazon. We'll probably uh, try to provide a link to it in the notes for this podcast as well. But it's interesting. I mean, we just wanted to touch base on it a little bit. Microservices is an interesting concept. um, And it's definitely something that we've started to get more that thinking or that that kind of service level thinking has kind of, uh, you know, come more and more into our workflow and our process. And so, you know, for example, um, you know, and there's multiple examples we could give, but you know, you could talk. You, you, we can talk about like little things, like process, like taking an image that has been uploaded to S3, um, and having a service, a microservice that 
essentially is notified or knows when that's happened and automatically goes and in a separate application, you know, completely separate from, you know, everything else that's going on can then take that and, and break that out into, um, you know, separate and appropriately sized images. And Al, I think you even worked on a, a package that, uh, yeah. a package that does that using iron IO, but it can also do much bigger things too. You know, there's all kinds of stuff we can you can have it process images in in, in bigger and better ways. Um, you can have it process PDFs. There's all kinds of things that are happening with services these days. Yeah, and, and so um, so the book. I mean, even though we're already into it, I I think the books as we get into so as we're already into microservices and working with them at the job, we started reading this book in hopes of like just challenging us in our thinking and helping our thinking to mature. Uh, we, we're not that far yet, but like you said last time in the book club, um, you really liked some of the a lot of the comments so far. Uh, one thing that stood out to you and me was the two week thing that that this particular service could be rebuilt in two weeks. Yeah, and it's really yeah. keeping it focused. Yeah, it's really fascinating, and it it does it not only keeps the focus, but um, I think it helps with um, you know limiting the scope, but also the, another big thing that the book you know, brings up is again, like isolation of concerns and, and keeping things really segmented and that, and then microservices help out a lot with that. Right. And it's kind of like uh, the Pooter book we read before that practical object oriented, um, uh, maybe it was Ruby, but this is the one everybody knows about, uh, yeah. Sandy Metz. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like treating these services as classes and the way that you're sending requests to them and getting it back in a very, um, not non like there's no leaky kind of sense of telling it what to do. Yeah, yeah, and it's even it's even a more tangible line because yeah, in, yeah. in the case of libraries or you know classes, yeah. um, it you know you can you can as a developer you can build them in a in a smart way and you can you can use the best principles, but at the end of the day. Uh, someone on your team or someone else who's using your project um, because you've open sourced it can still, um, you know, can still include the library or use the class in a way that doesn't really adhere to the principles uh, that you're trying to set out of like really isolating those concerns. And in the case of a microservice, it's really impossible for them to use it in a way like all the public facing methods are, there's no way you can get to the private or protected methods because it's a service. Yeah, no, it's a really good point. I think the hard part though, is like we started off thinking, let's share libraries, let's share DTOs or data transfer objects. And now the book is making it clear. Those aren't really great ideas. And in some ways it's a challenge because you want to keep your code dry, but then the books like that can actually not be good with these type of microservices. Yeah. Um, the other thing I really, the other two things I like is, um, as a team, it allows someone to just jump in and take on something without feeling like they have to learn this whole monolithic app. And at the same time, they can take on something and and and, uh, and not be blocked by anyone or anything. I, I don't think we've hit a blocker in in forever um, where someone's waiting for someone else because we're always always able to mock and work separately. And this is another good example of that. Yeah, no, that's true. That's a really huge thing. Yeah. And 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 usually because we're keeping the scope of the service so isolated, whatever it is that the person is working on is fairly easy. Uh, you know, it's very easy to mock. So for us, what that means is someone can build someone can build a microservice using uh, like Iron.io, like an Iron worker. Another person can build out the Laravel component of it, and yet another person can be working on the front end Angular side. Um, and we're we're not tripping over each other. We're we're able to kind of move very very quickly um, because because they're so isolated and because they're so easily mockable. Yeah, yeah. 
I know we've, we definitely have to get better at, uh, trapping exceptions and, uh, and, uh, in, in kind of getting that moment when it fails, it's been really, that's been our biggest challenge. I think plugging everything in. Right. Um, but maybe the book will help us there. It does go over that. Uh, and we'll keep going over it as we go, but I definitely know that's when been one of the hardest one is like, Hey, you know, getting to that point, like we test, but in the end it's really hard to test at this big, uh, like these three different services talking to each other. Yeah. Um, that, that's been our big challenge too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, what? Oh, no, I was just going to say, I agree totally. One thing that I did, you know, kind of on on the higher level of thinking about microservices, you made an interesting point the other day, um, and I'm curious to hear more about it, actually, which is just that I think, you know, in terms of microservices, it's gone through an interesting uh, phases, I guess, right? And so it's kind of, um, for a while, it was like, I feel like it was the, it was a buzz. It was it, everyone was right. talking about it, everyone using it to the point where they're overusing it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Or well, I mean, and it just kind of hit me as we were talking a moment ago. Is um, so the the thing was it was that uh, and we'll link to these things in the show notes. But it was like Tech Radar uh, talked about how they still are in favor of services, microservices, but they're like on hold because people are trying to use them for too many things. And so you you see that this trend is is getting to a point now where it's it's not going out in a bad way. It's going out as like it's not as um, it's not newsworthy. Okay, just like with regular news, things fade out not because they've stopped happening, it's because they're not newsworthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it made me think as you were talking, like look at Amazon with Lambda, right? Lambda is like a microservice, uh, the next phase, right? It's like now we're you know, to a degree, a Lambda can replace both microservices and frameworks, right? Yeah. Because now you have this, like, this, like, thing you could dump a, a particular um, function in or method and, and make it happen. <laughs> and it's framework-free and it's even smaller than a microservice. Uh, right. so that's going to be interesting, I think, uh, moving forward. Um, and it's going to cover different languages, so it, it really might be powerful. I don't know who else is doing it, Um because my only fear there is like we're locking into Amazon, but you know that might not be an issue really overall. Right. So that that would be my one thought coming since then is that like if I think about Lambda as the next thing, that that's really uh, could be. So yeah, we'll keep going over that book as it goes. Uh, we're definitely just starting on that one, uh, section one. Um, yeah. So we'll hit section two next time uh, if anyone wants to jump into that book. Yeah, and I should point out um, we do we are planning to. Um, have comments for this podcast. So if there are, if anyone else is reading this book or has thoughts, um, it would be great to hear, hear from you. And we can actually include some of that. Um, the next time we talk about, um, these microservices. Yeah, it'd be great. Uh, the next book we've been also going over is a PHP certification book. And that one, again, we'll link to in the show notes, but that is Zen certification study guide, third edition by, Davi and I can't see the name because it's so small inside of yeah uh, my screen. But yeah. Anyways, that, well, what were you gonna say? Well, this one's interesting, Al. Like, I, I just want to say, like, when we, um, you know, Al came to me. I don't know. I guess three or four weeks ago, and we started talking about this and decided we were gonna do it. Um, and you know, one thing, one thing I think that's interesting is I've, you know, through through the last four or five years, I've at very various points talked with folks about like the efficacy of these types of certifications. Um, and, and obviously is the, the Zend certification, uh, is one of the, is probably, is the most well-known in ter- in the PHP world. But I think it would be interesting to know, like what, what, what's, uh, 
you know, from your perspective, Al, <laughs> yeah. what, what, like, why is this, um, why is this appealing to you? Right. Um, so the PHP Arch uh, magazine is, is and we'll link to that as a pretty cool PHP uh, magazine, uh, maybe the only one. Um, they had an ad in there for it, and it just struck me because I've always thought, you know, uh, like Nathan's saying too, like or maybe not saying, is like sometimes you, these things aren't worth it. Like certification isn't what makes you. Um, but then again, you know, uh, some jobs they say, hey, they want you to have a college or whatever or equivalent, and to have a few certifications can't hurt. And in the end, it's just fun for me to have books to read that, uh, in this case, hopefully force me to um, to uh, get through it in a certain way at a certain point, uh, so I can you know then show that I, I made it through and, and learn some things from it. Because I have a habit of pulling out like I'll start books and really like them and find another and really like it and maybe not finish them. So it was just a way to study. Now the other thing too I like about this book is even though it's very simple, it it definitely shows you some of the the technical nuances behind PHP and the why it does things certain ways. And I've been enjoying that as well. So yeah. It, yeah. So in the end, I get that and I get a certification which does look good to some people who think those things mean something. You know. Right. Right. Um, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, to me, like I, I have been interested in it for those reasons. Um, and I, and I, in fact, you know, like, um, you know, one of, I, I've, uh, one of my favorite developers who I follow is Larry Garfield. He's doing interesting things, particularly in the, in the Drupal world, but he's also known well in just the PHP world, um, in general. And, um, you know, he's got his in certification and has talked about it a little bit a couple of times. So I, it's always kind of piqued my interest. Um, but I have to admit, similar to like you said, in going through the first few chapters, um, it's really been interesting to get a fuller understanding yeah. of, of the concept, even the most basic, con basic concepts of, you know, understanding all the different um, components of, of strings. Yeah. Um, or, yeah. you know, just, just like the most basic stuff. There's actually quite a bit that, um, you know, uh, just quite a, quite a number of pieces that, that are missing for me. And it's just nice to, the, the, to get those filled in. And I think it ultimately will help my day to day, um, yeah. professional yeah. experience, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. Um, uh, again, and it, it sometimes gets, it rubs some of the fear off of trying new techniques because you kind of have a sense of how they work. Um, and, and, you know, then you can use them and maybe even look up like the book, the author said, this book isn't like just to get you through the study, uh, to get you through the cert and throw away. He wanted to be a reference guide. Mm -hmm. you know? So when I need to do something like a Ray map, I can go back to it and look and be like, okay, what is this really, how does this work again? You know? Right. right. Um, and you get a lot out of the PHP site to get those things. But again, the books, it's, it's pretty nice. I mean, again, it seems too simple in some places, but overall I'm liking it. Yeah. I'd have to so, agree. Yeah. All right. So we'll keep going through that. And uh, I I know I don't have the page in front of me, but I know uh, I was hoping to finish in maybe another two weeks, if I remember right. I get a look, though. Uh, I don't know if that's realistic. <laughs> <laughs> so. All right. So, well, the next one's kind of abstract. I was thinking this one might not work well on a podcast, but we were just really excited about facades and mocking. Um, I asked someone actually on Drupal 8 and uh, in, in us with Laravel, and it seems like it's, it's, it's working in both environments and, you know, where we can really just uh, swap out uh, using the dependency injection system, swap out classes at the last minute to do really nice integration API testing, and, and, but know we're mocking out particular classes um, that are maybe talking to external APIs or even talking to databases. Uh, that we don't want them to during the testing process. And, and that was really cool. 
Uh, I don't know what you thought about all that. Yeah, no, it was, it's really nice. And actually, um, you know, it reminds me of some other tools that we've used in the past that, um, for one reason or another, we, we've, we've, um, you know, we've, we, it's hard to use in every scenario. So for, right for, for our PHP unit tests, we're often using, um, uh, what is it called? VCR. Yeah. Right. VCR, which is nice. It, um, it, it basically is able to intercept requests and, uh, copies them so um you know you can you can hit an api once and then when you try to hit it again uh it'll instead of tr actually hitting the api it will use um you know it'll it'll use the previous request that it has captured um but we did run into some um yeah. you know some especially as we started to build some internal and some of our internal apis um, and also just wanting to mock, like w one thing we want to do is kind of have, have really fine grained control over what we actually mock. Um, and so, um, yeah. you know, I think that, you know, the solution that, that the, the solution that we started to head down where we're able to, uh, use facades and, and mock by just essentially, um, you know, using the facade and, and having a, you know, maybe just a simple wrapper class that, uh, detects what environment we're in and then, uh, you know, reacts accordingly, finds out if we already have a yeah. mock and uses it. If it doesn't, if we don't have a mock, then it, then it generates one from the real API. Um, this is important, important stuff, especially as we, uh, you know, further refine our continuous integration, um, and our test coverage. Yeah, I mean, like one route could be hitting Sauce Labs, GitHub, and other things that we don't want it to. And, uh, you know, uh, so this is really powerful stuff. Um, yeah. The other piece is we also want to mock outside of PHP unit. So it's one thing to it's one thing to have really good PHP unit coverage yeah. um, and to mock that, but we also want to be able to... Uh, you know, we're doing B and right now we're mostly doing B hat right. testing for our UI and integration tests. Yeah. Um, and we want to mock that too. Um, even on, even on like dev or a staging environment, yeah. we really want to, like, we want to minimize the amount of the, 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 the amount that we have to hit these external APIs. And on any given project, I mean, we're, you know, in terms of APIs, we're hitting anywhere from, you know, four to 12 uh, you know, external APIs, you know, depending on what project we're talking about. Yeah. And I'll update, uh, we'll link to the article I wrote, but I'll update it to add your idea, which is like, well, how do you do that? Well, you either start the server with the particular environment variables or you um, somehow reset them during the process. But more easily, it's like, hey, if I'm logged in as this user, we're going to, uh, our service provider classes are going to then, uh, you know, set up our uh mocked classes right yeah so they can easily swap out swap out based on the user and that would deal with the only issue we're still having which is at the b hat selenium level yeah uh, and that would be great for us because in our case you know um for our dev and our staging server we have um you know we have uh we we have product owners that are testing and reviewing progress regularly and we don't we don't want them to get mock data we want them to be able to run real real tests against all the services um right but but we still like every you know the ideal scenario is right. that every time we deploy to dev or to stage um we're running all the ui tests and that can be mocked and you know that that really should be so well and then and then in the in in the long term it's like then we have a uh 
we can eventually run them fully integrated and say, okay, we want to turn off all mocking. We want this to be real. And so we can just, you know, hit our everything once a day and make sure nothing's broken. Yeah. Uh, that, that's the, the final level, I think, of all of this. Yeah, that so, makes sense. So, yeah, that was pretty cool to, to, to really get this. That, and a lot of this was inspired by the Laravel, um, the Jeffrey Way Laravel Testing Decoded book. Uh, that was our last book club book. Um, so he helped to really push that, that issue. Yeah, that that's a great book, by the way. I've read it. I think yeah. this is the that was the second time, and I I would you get I get something new out of it every time. Really, really good stuff. Um, doesn't touch so much on some of the new um, yeah. testing that just came out with Laravel five, um, but it is it's still you know probably I don't know ninety percent relevant um, in terms yeah. of day to day testing. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Uh, all right. How about the next topic? Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, we it's interesting. Um, we've we in our in our kind of small team, we've we've essentially started to transition over to a team that um, that runs uh, or, or that that we basically all all are are using standing desks or on our way to using standing desks. And I thought that was pretty interesting, and just wanted to talk talk about it a little bit. Um, now we, um, I think both Al and I have the same desk, um, the the uh, Uplift nine hundred. I think we can link to that too. Um, but the reason I wanted to bring it up, I'm cur- I'm actually curious to see what other readers have used and what their experiences is are. But um, I, I, for me personally, I would say that this desk has uh, really changed my life. Like I'm a much happier person spending <laughs> yeah. half the day standing yeah. up. Um, and I know I think Al, you might even do. Um, did did you get a treadmill as well? Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, it's it's it, overall. I agree with you. It's it definitely like I remember the long days of sitting down and you try to get up to go the end of the day and you just feel all kind of um, stuck. I don't know how to say it. You know, you just feel weak. Um, but after standing for a while all day and working, you just hop out of work and you still feel like you can bounce around. You know. Yeah. Um, so you're right. It definitely does affect you. Um, and then the treadmill has been great. I set it to level one. I start off in the morning, and uh, I usually get going early in the morning for work because it's like the time I can focus. Uh, so by every day, I have 10,000 steps, which is my goal. Uh, so the whole year, I just want every day to be that or more. Um, and so it's made that totally possible. And it hasn't affected my work, I don't think, at all. Uh, I barely even notice it. So I, I can't say enough about that addition if you can get there. It, it, it just really isn't as awkward as people think. Yeah. Until you try using it in a meeting, don't use it in a meeting. <laughs> then you look odd. So, oh man, yeah, I've definitely been considering it. Um, I, you know, for me, it, so you know, I don't have the treadmill yet, but um, the different one of the I, I I was wondering just moving to the standing desk how what impact it would have on my focus. Um, oh, yeah. And I actually think it's had a tremendously positive impact um, because I can actually change contexts every you know twenty minutes yeah. or thirty minutes, um, and that and that just like that small changing of context from going from sitting to standing or standing to sitting um, is it, I think it actually helps with my focus and I'm able to uh, focus longer. Yeah. So I don't know. Would you? Would you? Do you think that? At, that w- walking and having that treadmill helps with your focus or do you not do you not uh sense a difference there uh i think i think you got it at the standing sitting point i think the treadmill um uh, you know i don't know the science behind it but i know in the morning other than coffee it really helps me feel like i can wake up and get going mm-hmm. uh and then overall it just helps to get the the blood moving i mean i know 
you know, you could jump on a bicycle and take off for a while and come back. We have that type of job uh, or a treadmill. Uh, so all those things are good, um, but I, I just really enjoy that that like leisurely pace, and I can still work, which I enjoy doing. Uh, <laughs> right. So, but I, I don't know. I think the standing and sitting alone is is enough, like you're saying, to to feel that change of context and to feel the the focus. Um, so, and it, you know, there's been many developers now and before who were great and they sat all day. Uh, so. Uh, there's no like magic thing. Uh, it's just interesting to see how it's affected me though overall. Yeah. So, uh, all right. So anything else on that? No, I, right. I think that's it. Uh, so two more things real quickly. Um, Vue.js, that's interesting. We should keep an eye on it. Uh, Jeffrey Way tends to know uh, the future. <laughs> um, he was into a lot of things before they were popular. Um, they had some good points in the Laravel podcast about um, why they all kind of are feeling a little bit out of sync with Angular. Uh, and they made some good arguments for where Vue.js can really be a nice, uh, more uh, tangible and simple approach to the level of work we're doing. Um, our applications are very Angular-centric, but in the end, we usually don't step outside of the common stuff that comes with the Bootstrap, uh, Angular, uh, UI, and uh, a few other libraries. Right. Uh, so honestly, we don't push. We use like 10% of Angular's power. Um, and so it was just interesting. And, and uh, I, you know, I, I, it would be on our next proof of concept or something, maybe use it. But I'm not sure how we could ever get there uh, or if we will ever get there. But it looked really interesting to try and use. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I have a lot of questions about it. I'm excited to look into it a little more. Um I I've done some preliminary research, but um, yeah, I mean one of the one of the downsides I think, uh, or one one of the positives I think of UJS seems to, it seems a bit more approachable. Um, not that Angular isn't Angular. I think right. at its at its fundamental is pretty straightforward. But if you want to work in teams or adhere to kind of best practices, and there's a couple of le- kind of lead, leading thinkers I think, and in, in that area in terms of Angular. Um, it's actually, you know, you you have to take some quite a bit of time to like understand the different patterns, which is good. I mean, it's 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 good to do, but I um and and to have that process and that workflow, um. But I wonder, I, you know, like one of my biggest questions is, um, do 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 any or all of those patterns, you know, follow over to view, or is there is there just is this kind of a really a wholly different way of thinking right. about this? No, I think they would carry over. John Papa guide is the one we tend to follow and I think in the end they're all aiming for the same thing is to um you know go you know kind of make it more of the the more common JavaScript approach to writing uh these type of things instead of uh how Angular usually is shown on the website as a more of an Angular style. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it would actually the John Papa would uh, carry over well to this, I, I believe. So nice. Um, it would be that is a good question though, and um, and and just like Angular View might have the same problem, like there isn't enough style guides out there, and so as a team you can all be writing different styles, it can get kind of frustrating. Right. Um, which is would bring up Ember, which is focusing on um, being a very opinionated framework, which can be nice. Right. Right. Um, all right, yeah. So that was it. I just we'll see how that goes uh, if it comes up in the next project or something. Uh, we do so well with Angular, but once it goes Angular two and everything, you know, we definitely have to move ourselves over in, in, into some different mindsets. Yeah, it's interesting. I was listening to a podcast yesterday or the day before. I can't remember which one. Um, 
but it, you know, one of the things with that Angular upgrade is I think it is a pretty significant change. Yeah. And so I think cer- certain developers are thinking at that point, like, well, if I basically have to yeah. spend the time, you know, rewriting a lot of this, you know, maybe now's the right time to consider Vue or to consider an alternative. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, it's tough. Um, the guy, I mean, uh, so yeah, so I mean, the guy who Angular took on to help rewrite too, uh, and he's known for the routing system, um, uh, I forget his name right now, but basically he was, it was a great interview with him too about, uh, you know, why he left Angular to go back to his own thing. And uh, he's releasing a framework as well. And it's like, you know, fine, there's a bazillion frameworks and one every day for JavaScript, but there are some good reasons for them. And uh, in, in all the things they're saying that they're getting frustrated with Angular, I see it every day uh, that we work in it. And uh, so they are making some interesting arguments. Not that there's ever a perfect choice, though. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe that's the end answer for a lot of us. It's like there is no perfect choice. And sure, you'll have to change things with 2.0. It, it's a good point, you know. Um, but if you're using 1.3, I think you're you're kind of seamless in your transition uh, to, to just staying at 1.3 for a while, or I think it's 1.4. So, it, it you know, and you don't have to go 2 for a long time. Right. So it, we'll see. It, it will be interesting to see when we tackle that one on the next project. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So the only other topic was uh, I was just really excited. I had to build some console commands with Artisan. And uh, if anyone gets time, the new master documents on Laravel cover how to build artisan commands. And the new syntax is just awesome, and building commands has just gotten so much easier. Uh, the one signature method defines how to, uh, you know, type out your command, including all the arguments and uh, options, which always before seemed kind of uh, odd. And now writing it has just been awesome and, and easy and clear. Uh, it reduced you know, making a command and something. I was like, oh, now I can go read about it again to like, now I get it. And it just, you can whip out commands. And and I can't say enough how important artisan commands are um, to, to, to programming. And any type of PHP command, because you could do parallel tasks and, and other things, uh, scheduling and stuff. So, so that's really worth looking at. Yeah, very cool. I heard uh, Taylor talking about oh, that. Oh, yeah. I know, yeah. Yeah, it's really, really interesting stuff. I'm excited yeah. to try it out. One other thing I heard from his talk in the Laravel podcast, which reminded me, is like, I always felt it was awkward, and I think sometimes we just forget, like, feedback is good, and if you say it nice, you can remind him, yeah, this is awkward, um, and, and that no one's perfect, and you can, you know, just to help point things out can, can be helpful. Um, it, you know, because he then noticed, like, after that it was awkward, you know? Right, uh, but I've always known it's been kind of like difficult, and I'm like, it must be an easier way. Uh, and you could even add, you know submit a pull request and say, I think this would be better. So uh, I think it's easier to forget sometimes. You can you can provide that type of uh, feedback. Uh, you know, he's not perfect. Yeah, so. and that's a really important way too. I think an approachable way to help. I know some sometimes I've been put off by like there's an enormous amount of complexity that uh, or just kind of politics that are in some open source pro- yes. projects, you know, yes. uh, especially <laughs> coming from the Drupal world. Like it's just, there's a lot of yeah. stuff that feels um, difficult or, or hard to yeah. approach. Um, yeah. But, but documentation, good documentation is so important and it's probably one of the easiest areas to, to start and help to contribute. Yeah. And it's so approachable with a lot of these projects that are more simple, get based pull request. Um, right whether it's Angular, Laravel, or any small library, I've been able to contribute more easily just because 
uh, of how easy that flow is. It's amazing just what GitHub has done for us in Git. Yeah. So, uh, so all right, that's it for the topics. Um, I th- I think uh, to wrap it up, we'll just say that uh, we'll have some notes and and uh, uh, comment area on uh, our website www.developershangout.io. Uh, and uh, at this point, you can go there and, and give us feedback, and we'll and we'll we'll talk about that feedback in the next one. Um, the next one will be in uh, two weeks, and we'll either do every two weeks or maybe change it up as we go and see what works best for everybody. Anything on your end, Nathan? No, that's it. Talk to y'all soon. All right. Thank you. Bye.